morning church. There's this uh, teenager at our Saturday service who likes to take um, photographs of dubious sermon slides. He wasn't here yesterday, a bit disappointed, but uh, this one was for him. Not coming up. Yeah. Imagine I stood beside a MPH screen, very big toilet bowl. Okay, anyway, yeah, we're all familiar with toilets, yes? Uh, we should be, since we use uh, our ceramic thrones uh, at least once a day. It's almost second nature to sit down, stand up, reach for the button to flush, correct not? So, if I ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being I don't know anything, and 10 being I know everything, how would you rate your understanding of how the toilet works? What number will you give yourself? No, no. Okay, everybody has a number. Okay, great. Now look at this diagram of a toilet. On your own, no cheating, huh? uh, please name the different parts of the toilet. Please also explain how these different parts work together. Okay, time's up. Here's the uh, complete diagram. Now I would like to invite you to rate yourself again. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your knowledge of how a toilet works after working on this diagram? <laughs> yeah, nobody can score higher than Bernard. Bernard huh? yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm not interested in your ratings, yeah? What I'm interested in is how many of you lowered your ratings after working on this diagram? Show of hands. Yes, many of you, yes. Very good, thank you very much. What we just did is adapted from a psychology experiment conducted by Yale University. They wanted to find out what makes people change their minds. They found that participants lowered their ratings after they had to write detailed step-by-step -step explanations of how toilets work. Psychologists suggest that people are able to change their minds about what they think they know if they have to make an effort to apply their knowledge. A change of mind is the theme in our passage for today, and indeed a theme found throughout the book of Jonah. Before we dive into the text, for the sake of those who are not familiar with the story, here's a quick summary. The story begins with God commanding Jonah to declare judgment against the people of Nineveh because of their evil. But Jonah rejected this mission. Instead of going to Nineveh, Jonah hitched a boat sailing to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction, as you can see on this map. However, God would not allow Jonah to escape. The Almighty stirred up a mighty windstorm to force Jonah off the ship. In order to save the sailors, Jonah allowed them to throw him overboard. Then, like a cigarette butt in a flushing toilet bowl, the powerful water currents closed in on Jonah and dragged him into the deep. He would have drowned if God did not save him. God sent a great fish which most people assumed to be a whale, to swallow him up and he was brought back to dry land safely. Following this terrifying experience, Jonah changed his mind. He went to Nineveh and prophesied as he was told. And after listening to Jonah, the people of Nineveh believed God and they changed their minds. At this point, we can join up with our passage, chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, God changed his mind. The story could have ended here, but it is often the case that when God works on someone, he is also working on everyone else along the way. In this case, God targets Nineveh, but he wants to change Jonah too. Let's dive into our text to see what Jonah thinks and why he needs to change. Now, after his mission, Jonah heard from God again before the 40 days was up. He learned in advance that the Lord would not destroy Nineveh after all. Good news for Nineveh. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The ESV translation is a bit soft uh, compared to the original Hebrew. I prefer this stronger translation. But the outcome was evil to Jonah, a great evil and his anger was kindled. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster, yada, yada, yada. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh, so now we know why Jonah rejected the mission in the first place. He knew God would change his mind. Jonah knew God would change his mind because he knows the nature, the personality, the character of God. In fact, Jonah quotes the name of Yahweh here with heavy sarcasm. You are a gracious God, to the extent of overindulging people. You're merciful, too soft-hearted. You're slow to anger and abounding in love, which makes you easy to persuade and pacify. To express his intense outrage over God's decision, Jonah asked the Lord to take his life. Of course, he doesn't mean to die. This is just a classic Hebrew expression to convey grievance and anguish. Like how the Chinese like to say, qi si wo le. Nevertheless, we must ask, why is Jonah so angry about this outcome? What is it to him if Nineveh lives or dies? There are four possible explanations. The ethnocentric explanation says that Jonah doesn't like foreigners, racist. Therefore, he was jealous that God is nice to non-Israelites. However, remember that Jonah was running away to a foreign city, and he gave himself up to save the lives of foreign soldiers. This doesn't sound like a xenophobic man. Next, the egoistic explanation says that Jonah was angry that God made him a false prophet. The Bible tells us that the test of a true prophet is whether or not the prophecy actually takes place. Since Nineveh was not going to be overthrown, Jonah effectively becomes a false messenger. However, the prophecy Jonah proclaimed has a double meaning in the original Hebrew. Overthrown can also mean transformed. Assuming that Jonah speaks Hebrew, and this is a big assumption, this double meaning would not be lost on him. Jonah knows that God did not make him a false prophet. The prophecy came true, just not the version that he liked. 
Then the patriotic explanation says that Jonah was thinking for his country. The city of Nineveh belongs to the nation of Assyria, a known enemy of Israel. Hence, Jonah could be angry that the Lord did not use this chance to weaken their enemy for the sake of Israel. However, during the time of Jonah, Assyria was on the decline. They were weakening, as it were. They were not a threat to Israel. We can keep this explanation in view, but it will not be the main reason. So we're left with the legalistic explanation, which is the strongest. Old Testament scholar John Goldingay says, it is wickedness that offends Jonah. The prophet believes that the obedient are blessed and rewarded, while the disobedient are cursed and punished. Case in point, when Jonah was disobedient, he was given the toilet bowl treatment. Shouldn't Nineveh, that great city of evil, suffer worse? Yet, God is letting them off without punishment. We cannot fully appreciate why Jonah was so bent on punishing Nineveh without understanding how evil the Assyrians were. According to this book, which is a very interesting read if you like history, Assyria used military campaigns as their economic policy. In other words, they routinely attacked and robbed their neighbours to feed their people and build their empire. Like in school, I break my razor, I take my classmates' pencil case, ah. Yes, they were bullies, and the Assyrians were vicious bullies. We find evidence of their violent cruelty in the chronicles of their kings. This one, for example, stood on the necks of his foes. With their blood, the mountains turned red like wool. He cut off noses, ears, extremities of his captives, gouged out eyes, burned prisoners, slashed the flesh of rebels, Flayed them alive means skin them and drape the skin on the city wall of Nineveh. Shamanese III massacred many of the city's inhabitants, carried off the booty, erected a tower of heads before the city and burned young boys and girls. The Assyrians also made wall carvings of how they tortured their prisoners. The fact that they were so proud of their brutal methods just goes to show how sadistic they were. Israel was no stranger to Assyrian cruelty, for no country escaped Assyria's unceasing evil. Just before the time of Jonah, Ahab, king of Assyria, suffered a disastrous defeat at the hands of Shalmaneser III, despite being in a coalition of 12 kings against Assyria. 12 fight against one, still lose one. Jehu, king of Israel, became subject to Shalmaneser III and paid tribute to avoid war and bloodshed. Based on this chronology, it is likely that Jonah's grandparents and parents suffered under Assyria. Given Israel's unhappy history with Assyria, it is no wonder that Jonah was so bent on punishing Nineveh. In his mind, Assyria's evil should not go unpunished. In his mind, the Assyrians must be called to account for their past and ongoing violence. Nineveh must be destroyed. Therefore, when God decided to show mercy to Nineveh and held back the destruction they deserved, 
Jonah was enraged. How can there be no consequences for evil? How can there be no penalty for sins? How can the guilty go unpunished? Pardoning Nineveh is an error of judgment, an unfair sentence, a miscarriage of justice, a great evil. Disgusted and extremely disillusioned with God, Jonah thinks that death is better than life in an unjust world with an unjust God. In the recently released mid-year crime statistics, scams and cybercrime continue to be a key concern in Singapore. In the first half of this year, scams increased by 69.4% compared to the same period last year. Over $300 million have been lost to scammers. The top five scams were job scams, e-commerce scams, fake friend scams, phishing scams, and investment scams. What do you think is the appropriate penalty for scammers? In Singapore, scammers may be charged for cheating, which carries a fine or imprisonment up to three years or both. Those who pretend to be someone else may be charged with cheating by impersonation, which is punishable with a fine or imprisonment for up to five years. And I believe we would want them to return our money. But now let's do a thought experiment. Let's say the scammers prayed to God and repented of their evil ways with fasting and sackcloth. Why are you laughing? Even their cats and dogs fasted. And let's say God, being a merciful Lord, performed a miracle for them. He removes all their charges, deletes their jail sentences, erases their debts. How do you think the victims would feel about God's decision? How would you feel? Certainly there will be anger, outrage and perhaps no small amount of disturbance in society because our sense of justice tells us that this is not the right thing to do. It cannot be the right thing to do. Letting evil go unpunished is a great evil in itself. Returning to our text, God responds to Jonah's anger. He asked the prophet, do you do well? to be angry, implying that it is not right for Jonah to be angry about this outcome. With this question and indirect rebuke, God invites Jonah to reflect on the matter and come up with a better response to this turn of events. However, Jonah was not in the mood for reflection. He doesn't even want to talk to God. Instead, he went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Here are a couple of booths. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, since Jonah was on his own, he probably made a shabby one. Okay. <laughs> Regardless, the point is, Jonah was staging a protest outside the city. He wants to see if God would respond to his protest and change his mind again, since he's such a fickle-minded softy, right? But God wants to change Jonah's mind too. Since Jonah is so stubborn, God 
enacts a real-life parable to teach Jonah a lesson. He makes use of Jonah's anger to help Jonah relate to God's point of view. In the interest of time, we'll go straight into what this parable means. The plant represents Nineveh, and the prophet represents God. The worm which brought death to the plant may represent sin, which brought death to creation. Just as the plant made the prophet exceedingly glad, the people of Nineveh made God exceedingly glad. And just as Jonah is angry enough to die over the plant, so also God is angry enough to die if the people should perish. The lesson of the parable is brought out in the final question. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Here, the Hebrew grammar emphasizes you and I which means we must pay attention to the comparison between them. Who is you? Jonah, a created being who cannot create life nor sustain it, a man whose life is like grass, here today, gone tomorrow. Who is I? The Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, the sovereign creator who controlled the wind and the waves, the rise and the fall of great nations, from the majestic whale to the minuscule worm, the Lord can command them all to do his will. Now compare these two. If Jonah, a mere creature, is heartbroken over a plant and helplessly wish that he could have kept it alive, how much more would God the creator, heartbroken over the lives in Nineveh, save them from dying because it is within his power to do so. This final question invites Jonah into the mind of God. In God's mind, there is no evil that cannot be forgiven. There is no wrong that cannot be pardoned. In God's mind, life is better than death. Salvation is better than destruction. Jonah is invited to change his mind, to think like God, to show mercy to the Assyrians, to rejoice over their salvation. But Jonah's problem, our problem, is not with God's mercy. Our problem is with justice. Gay helps us to state this problem clearly. Are God's compassionate actions just? Is it right to withhold the consequences for evil? Is it right to cancel the penalty for sins? Is it right for the guilty to go unpunished? The book of Jonah ends without giving an answer. We must look elsewhere and reflect. Are there really no consequences for evil? Was no one punished for our wickedness? The Bible affirms 
that there are consequences for evil. After a brief decline, Assyria came back into power and they returned to their evil ways. God sent the prophet Nahum to Nineveh to warn them. But this time, they did not repent. Nineveh was destroyed in 612 BC, bringing an end to the Assyrian Empire. And the Bible testifies that someone was punished for our wickedness. When Jonah said that he was angry with the death of the plant, angry enough to die, he was only talking metaphorically to convey the intensity of his emotion. But when God said that he is angry enough to die over the lives of the people in Nineveh, he meant it. To save humankind from dying from our sins, God came in the person of Jesus Christ to die upon the cross. Because of Jesus, God can be merciful, forgiving our sins. Because of Jesus, God remains just in his mercy because he suffered the penalty for the sins of the world. To be sure, if Christ did not die for us, then it is a grave injustice to let all of us guilty sinners sit here comfortably. But Christ did suffer once for all, for all our sins, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. Whosoever believes in him, and we do mean whosoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whosoever includes the people of Nineveh, if they believe God and repent. Whosoever includes scammers, if they believe and they repent. If we cannot accept this outcome, if we demand that God punishes the guilty directly, if we insist that criminals pay an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, then we must be ready for our own consequences. As much as we want our enemies to be humiliated, we will be humiliated. As much as we want our enemies to be tortured, we will be tortured. Because when I reject Jesus Christ as the payment for your sins, I cannot ask him to pay for my sins. It must be so, to be absolutely fair. The mercy of God must be withdrawn from us. Justice must prevail. We will face the full wrath of God. And what a terrible day it is when Jesus returns. But friends, it doesn't have to be that way. As with Jonah, God invites us to change our minds today. He invites us to show mercy to those who have offended us, recognizing that justice is found in Jesus Christ. In the past, we struggled. We could not be merciful to our enemies because we were constrained by our great sense of justice. We do not understand how God's mercy and God's justice work together. But now that we know Jesus Christ, now that we know mercy and justice are reconciled in him on the cross, now that we are free from the demands of our conscience and at liberty to show mercy, isn't it time to change our minds? 
Let us pray. Mighty God, who made the sea and the dry land, we praise you, for you are a gracious and merciful Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you that you have created each and every one of us in your image, that we may reflect your glory in this world. We know that you delight in us. But you know also, Lord, how we have fallen we're corrupted by sin, misguided by our senses, and perverted in our ways. When we are given positions of power and authority, we do not do enough justice, provoking people to anger. When we are not in power and authority, we take things into our own hands, repaying evil for evil. And so we multiply injustice and bring chaos to the land. But you, O oh Lord, have not given up on us. You show us mercy by giving us your word as a mirror to reveal our sinful nature, as a reminder of who we are created to be, and as a challenge for us to be like you. Therefore, we ask that you change our minds today, for we struggle with this message and it is hard for us to change. Change us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that we may know your divine nature and believe in your goodness. Change us, Lord, that we may show mercy to those who have offended us. Change us, Lord, that we may rejoice in the salvation of our enemies and be reconciled to them. Help us, Lord, to overcome evil with good and magnify your glory in all the world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, he will come again to judge.